All right, you have a Bible, I want you to turn to Ephesians chapter 5, verse 22, please. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 22 to 24. And the message is entitled, God's role for women. And this is part one. There's a second part, then the men are going to get two parts. So everybody gets equal time. Now, Paul has given the biblical principles of submission as a mutual command for every believer in verse 21. That's reciprocal submission, one Christian to another. In verse 21, that's a transitional verse, we said, that leads us to the mutual submission of wife and husband, as well as the entire family and household that will go all the way to verse 9 of chapter 6. In this section of Ephesians, we have the divine pattern and principles given for every believer and generation regarding marriage and the family. There are no exceptions. Every generation has had the same text, has had the same requirements under every different culture. The nature of the family demands that it be guided by God's word and lived out through the power of the Holy Spirit, or it won't work. In 2011, seven out of ten marriages ended in divorce, many of them being serial marriages, of course. The two-parent home was an endangered species. The single-parent home became the norm. With the increasing numbers of um, premarital births and uh, a continuing high divorce rate, the proportions of children living with just one parent rose from 9.1 in 1960 to 20.7 in 2012. Currently, 55.1% of all black children 31.1 of all Hispanic children and 20.7 of all white children are living in a single-parent home. That's the U.S. Census Bureau. Living arrangements for children under 18 years old, 1960, to the present U.S. Census of 2012. These are real stats. If statistics are said to be lower, and often people will twist stats. It's due to the fact that marriages are taking place in a less number. In other words, people aren't bothering getting married anymore. On the other side, too, is that young people are waiting longer to get married. Most of my friends in the 1960s got married at 18, 19, some at 16, 17. It wasn't the best, but that's what they did. I, I was old. I got married at 23. <laughs> now it's 28, 32. So it keeps moving higher. Now, the longer you're out there, the more baggage you have. The more difficulties come when you met, get married. It's just the facts. It's just the way it is. Now, the standards for your marriage has to be the Word of God. Any other standard is based on man's philosophies, their opinions, and not the divine instructions for marriage. And then we'll also cover divorce as we move along. So Colossians 2a says, don't let a man spoil you through uh, philosophia, the love of wisdom, man's wisdom, not according to Christ. Uh, 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17 tells you the scriptures are the full authority. All scriptures are inspired of God. God breathed. It is the only thing that we go by. The Word will um, tell both of you what is wrong. The Word will tell both of you what to do. 
And the world will tell both of you how to resolve the issues. The world will teach both of you the need of ongoing transformation through conviction. Hebrews 4.12, the word of God is sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing the son of the soul and the spirit. You know, we just got, we're going through the mind of prophets. Remember, Hosea declared that the people of God were destroyed for their lack of knowledge. Hosea 4.6. It's still the same today. Many Christians' lives were destroyed because of lack of knowledge. On the flip side of that is lack of obedience. Knowledge and obedience. One coin. Jesus said, Whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, I will liken him unto a wise man who builds his house on the rock. And the rains descended, the floods came, the winds blew and beat in that house, and it did not fall, for it was founded upon the rock. Matthew seven twenty four to 27 Notice they came, they came, they came. Not if they come. They will come. You haven't met testings and trials until you get married. <laughs> Marriage tells you exactly who you are. Not very nice. You're not the most loving person or very selfish. So marriage really don't like because it shows us really who we really are. And we have a higher view of ourselves. So let's look at God's role for the woman in view of submission to marriage. Being threefold here in Ephesians 5, 22 through 24. Let me read our passage here. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. Therefore, just as the church is subject to Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. When people hear that, they freak out. Here's the three things. First of all, under the woman's submission to her own husband. First, the woman is to submit to her husband. Verse 22. Secondly, the woman is to submit to her husband because he is the head of the wife. Gives you the reason. And thirdly, the woman is to submit to her husband as head in everything. Verse 24, it qualifies it. Let's begin with the woman to submit to her husband. Now, remember, Paul is writing this with a background. So the cultural background of women living under the days of Paul help us to kind of see, listen, the radicalness of the nature of this statement. If you think it's radical for today, I want you to think of the background that I'm going to give you. This is the background that Paul commanded this. He didn't suggest it. He commanded. The Jewish view of women uh, was not very good. We think it was, but it really wasn't. They had uh, a low view of women. They um, prayed and they thanked God in their morning prayers for nothing um, having nothing to do with Gentiles, uh, a slave, or a woman. Wow. The two schools of divorce existed. The school of Shemaya taught that adultery was the only grounds for divorce, the conservatives. <clears throat> then you had the school of Hillel. And you remember Hillel, liberal, L, there it is. Taught every cost could be used for divorce. Now you put too much salt on the bagels, yeah. Um, you know, she just didn't look at you the right way or whatever it is. Or she uncovered her head in public, could divorce. If she... Spoke to a man in public, you could divorce her. So for every cost, any cost, right? Today we have unreconcilable differences. <laughs> wow. Now the interpretation was based on Deuteronomy 24, 1 through 4. Often that's used as uh, God giving a, a right in a divorce through Moses, but it really isn't. 
it, um, it's really a protection for the woman if you examine it. And we don't have time. I'm not going to get sidetracked. But if we've gone through it before. We'll touch it as we move through. It was really to protect the woman um, rather than the command divorce. For that man to think twice before he lets his wife go. Because if he lets her go, she can't come back. It was a warning to the man because he didn't have a legitimate right. Because in the Old Testament, if she committed adultery, which was the only right, she was stoned to death. No, no need for divorce. Okay? Real simple. Now, the Jews asked Jesus about this law, and Jesus declared the error of um, such an interpretation, taking them back to Genesis and told them that because of the hardness of their heart, God had allowed divorce. Matthew 19.8. So, Deuteronomy 24, 1-4, the hardness of the heart. God gave a decent, orderly manner, even though it wasn't absolutely justified, but God didn't feel the woman had to live under that type of tyrannical home. But he warns the man, if you let her go, you can't get her back. So think about it. The men were unwilling to be as gracious to their wives as God had been to them. The church today is saying a woman can be like the world and have many divorces. I mean, look at the church today. Or a man. Rabbi Akiva interpreted the uncleanness to mean if he desired a more beautiful woman than his wife, then she would be unclean in his eyes. How convenient. A man could divorce his wife, but not a woman, except for two reasons. Leprosy or insanity. He gave her a bill in a divorce, written by a rabbi, signed it by two witnesses, handed it to her, gave her her dowry. She's gone. Think about it. The Jews had the highest ideal of marriage. This is bad. This is the background in which Paul is writing, commanding, what we're going to study. You had the Greek view of women. It was worse. Prostitution was a part of Greek life. The Masonese laid it down as an accepted rule of life. I'm quoting them. Well, quote, we have courtesans for the sake of pleasure. We have concubines for the sake of uh, daily cohabitations. We have wives for the purpose of having children legitimately and having a faithful guardian for all our household affairs. The Greek culture, the respectable woman, had no public life. Ex and often's aim was that she might see as little as possible, hear as little as possible, and ask as little as possible. She was to run the home, care for the children, while the man found pleasure elsewhere. Divorce was said to be nothing more than a change of mind, opinion, or fancy in the Greek culture. Then you have the Roman view of women. It was even much worse. A girl and wife were completely under the authority of the father or the husband. Power, authority, everything. Within the first 500 years of Roman Republic, there had not been one single divorce until 234 B.C. When Spurius Calvarius Ruga divorced his wife because she was childless. But after a while, Greek culture began to permeate the society and the fabric began to decay, as we see in our own culture, how we came from a moral society, though not always a Christian society, but at least moral and ethical, and now it's, everything's gone wayside. We've got the new law, right? Gender neutral, right? Anybody can walk in any bathroom, any restroom, any um, gym dressing room, whatever. Wow. Marshall tells us of a woman marrying her 23rd husband, she being the 21st wife. <laughs> Cato 
If you find your wife in adultery, you can kill her. But if you catch, if she catches you, she does not touch you. It's Romans. Any attempt by women or men to charge God or Christianity with such a view of women is a statement of ignorance regarding the scriptures and the history of the church. And yet people do it all the time against Christianity. You speak out of ignorance. For there has never been any culture, philosophy, or movement that has ever cared or done more for women than Christianity. Study the history of the centuries past of where biblical Christianity has made its impact. And then mark the condition of women before and after and what it's done. You want to compare that to Islam? That'd be a good study. Christianity wins hands down. The woman caught in adultery was brought before Jesus, you know, and he elevated her to the equality of a man in terms of guilt and forgiveness before God in John 8, 1 through 11. Jesus wrote on the ground and said, He that is without sin among you, let him cast the first stone. The word used meant never sin, never could sin, never would sin. Everybody walked away. (laughs) Jesus said to her, Neither do I condemn you, go and sin no more. Bringing the woman up to the equal with a man before the eyes of God. Able to be forgiven. Wow. The submission of a woman to her husband is the biblical pattern. Here in the beginning of verse 22, it's um, very, very clear. God declared that it was not good for the man to be alone. He would make a helper comparable to for him. In Genesis 2, 18, submission is implied by virtue that she was created to meet the needs of Adam and complete him. Make that very clear. Mark it. Submission was understood by Adam and Eve from the design of creation, but violating it brought the fall and the ruin. So we today don't obey it. We bring ruin to our marriages. It's the same thing. The word submit, hupatasa, we've seen it before. It's an imperative command here. Uh, it's not a suggestion. As noted, it means to line up under a military word, never implying inferiority. The verb is uh, supplied from verse 21. It's not found in verse 22. It's the middle voice indicating it's to be done by the individual, and it's done voluntarily, not by force. Knowing the command, then I submit myself to God, and I voluntarily do whatever that context in this case is the woman submitting to her own husband, as we'll see. Peter points out Sarah's model of submission for Christian wives in 1 Peter 3, 6, calling him Lord with the correlation whose daughters you are if you do good and not afraid of any terror. Now, that's quite a statement because Abraham was far from perfect. Abraham lied about Sarah being his wife and passed her off as his sister to protect himself in Genesis 20. Wow. Abraham went along with the conclusion of Sarah that God would give them a child through Hagar instead of reproving her and waiting upon God to see how God would do it in Genesis 16. In fact, Paul tells the Colossians that for a wife to submit to her husband, listen, 
is fitting in the Lord. Colossians 3.18. Fitting. Appropriate. It's what it's designed for. The word fitting there means to be, again, proper or appropriate. Once again, implying God's creative design for the purpose of an efficient and productive marriage. Like a key to a lock, a nut to a bolt, a hand to a glove, a foot to a shoe. They go together. You don't put your shoe on your hand. You put your socks on your head. There's a proper place they go. The word is found only two other times in the New Testament. And here Ephesians 5.4 and Philemon 1.8. Now the type of submission is not understood by the unbelieving world. You and I understand that. They often isolate the standard or command to the woman from its context of God's design. They do not see it in the context of a godly man being a type of Christ, but as controlling, obliterating the woman's person or personality. The problem is that the unsaved, the natural man, is incapable to comprehend the biblical command and pattern with their fallen natural mind, just as you and I were unable to understand that prior to being born again. Now, the submission of a woman is to her own husband. Notice that. Not just any man. Okay? Women are not to submit themselves to just any man or every man, but her own husband. Colossians 3.18 again says that. 1 Peter 3.5. He alone is the authority over her life. She is not to submit to any other man, for they will not have her best interests in mind, but their own benefit. When we have to speak to a woman here, we always ask her husband to come in with her. We never confront a woman alone. Simple. This is the problem with women working under the authority of other men in the world today. Those men are there to serve themselves any way they can. It's the nature of the man. He's a conqueror. He's a controller. The woman or the woman is to be protected by the headship of her father against all men who would seek to use and abuse her. And then she's handed off to her husband. Too often in dating, the young women allow themselves to be sexually defiled because there's no protection and the culture just permits it. And so many things go awry. They go wrong. The woman is to submit sexually to her own husband, 1 Corinthians 7, 2. And by the way, that applies to the man also, not just the woman. When you have your own husband, your own wife, then that avoids immorality through adultery. This binds and strengthens the oneness of the marriage. God didn't just give us sexual oneness, and we'll deal a whole study with that, just to have kids. He wants you to enjoy yourself in the context of marriage, not outside of marriage. The woman in submission seeks to please her own husband. He alone is the one who is her covering. The older women are to admonish the younger to love their own husbands. Titus 2.4 says, 
And the word love there is um, Philo Andrew speaking of the emotional, devotional love of a wife. Phileo, that emotional love. This is the only time it appears in the New Testament. Now, the older women are also to admonish the younger to obey their own husbands in Titus 2.5. The word obey there is again hupatazo, as here. And the word obey, hupakuo, is never used of the wife, only children and slaves and servants. Hupatazo versus hupakuo. Okay? Different. The woman's a wife not to be treated like a child or a slave. She is the husband's helper and completes him. Now, the submission of a woman is as to the Lord. Notice there at the end of verse 22. This tells us how she carries out her submission as if submitting to Jesus. This describes the protective and spirit that she carries her submission out in. In faith, she submits as if she were submitting to the Lord Jesus. It has nothing to do with feelings, nothing to do with emotions, nothing to do with her opinion, but her obedience to the Lord. Peter says Sarah obeyed Abraham using the word hupakuo. But I said it's never used the wife. But the context here is in relationship to her submission as unto God. First Peter 3.6. Eh? Realizing that Abraham, Abraham was ultimately responsible to God for the decisions. She recognized the headship of her husband. Relying on God to protect her. A woman of faith whose daughter you are. Peter says. This is the mark of obedience to her Lord. A woman who is spirit-controlled is being spirit-filled. A woman walking in wisdom is being spirit-filled. A woman understanding what the will of the Lord is, is being spirit-filled. Ephesians 5.15, Ephesians 5.17, 5.18. You guys remember Abigail, who was married to Nabal, submitted herself to Fool, that was his name, Abel. Nabal. <laughs> and she interceded for him as David was going to wipe out his household for his arrogance. She understood the will of God in submission to her husband, though she was married to a fool. One said, to know the will of God is the greatest knowledge. To find the will of God is the greatest discovery. To do the will of God is the greatest achievement. There are no exceptions in the biblical pattern of submission for Christian wives. It is fitting, Colossians 3.18. To think you are the exception is to be out of step and inconsistent with the scriptures, ladies. To not submit to one's own husband is declaring loudly that it is not fitting or appropriate to the Lord. It's a contradiction. To not submit is to be in rebellion towards God. Listen to Proverbs 14.1. The wise woman builds her house, but the foolish pulls it down with her hands. 
Proverbs 21, 19, better to dwell in the wilderness than with a contentious and angry woman. Proverbs 27, 15, a continual dripping on every rainy day and a contentious woman are alike. We all know these things to be true. They're not a, 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 a mockery of the woman. It's not a, a, a slam against her. It's the reality of our nature. The thing God is looking for is the wife's attitude in her husband's her submission to her husband. Her motive, 1 Corinthians 4, 5. We, we are rewarded for why we do the things we do and how we do. Her submission is in obedience to God and his word. Her submission is in confidence and trust in God's power, not her own. Her submission is in submission as unto the Lord. You see, human love submits for personal benefits as the motive in contrast to God's agape love in 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 18. Agape love submits for Christ's sake. Agape love serves. It doesn't seek to be served. Agape love is bounds solely by God's word. It's the only way it can work. It believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. It never fails. Agape never fails. I fail. When I yield to agape love, I don't fail. When I don't yield, I fail every time. Simple. So the woman is to submit to her husband. Paul says, first thing. Now notice secondly. The woman is to submit to her husband because he is the head of the wife. He gives the reason why. Now, this is important. Look at 23. The headship of a man was God's design. Adam was created first, Genesis 2.18. Eve came after Adam. Adam and Eve became one. The head of every man is Christ. The head of a woman is the man. The head of Christ is God. In 1 Corinthians 11.3. I can never see, oh, I have never seen, a two-headed body. I've seen a two-headed snake, but not a two-headed body. There cannot be two heads in one home. Remember, inferiority is never implied in submission, not in a woman or in Christ, being God's order and design. If you want to say submission is inferiority, then you have to conclude that Christ is inferior to the Father in that text. Are you willing to say that? Absolutely not. Why is he submissive? For efficiency and productivity. Of the redemption of man. Simple. Now, the headship of man is not complete without the submission of the woman. Once again, 1 Corinthians helps us here. Chapter 11, verse 8 and 9, 11 and 12. In 8 and 9, the man was not created from the woman, but the woman from the man. Nor was the man created for the woman, but the woman for the man. Women go crazy. This is the truth. There's God's design. It's for the good of the marriage. It's for the good of the family. It's the good for the woman. It's the good for the man. It's for the good of society. 11 and 12 of 1 Corinthians 11 says, Nevertheless, neither is man independent of the woman nor the woman independent of the man. In the Lord. So a woman cannot say, I don't need a man. And a man cannot say, I don't need a woman. He says, For as woman came from man... So in other words, Eve came from man. Even so, man also comes through woman. But all things are from God. So in other words, every man after Adam comes through a birth canal, through a woman. 
So they're, in, they're, they're hooked together. <laughs> you can't separate them. And he lays these simple principles here. Both the man and the woman are dependent on each other. Both the man and the woman cannot say they don't need one another. Both cease to exist without each other. For the woman carries the egg and the man the seed to continue the human race. You know what our major problem is right now? Not overpopulation. It's underpopulation. Because the politicians and the educators have deceived the past generations that were overpopulated. And so every country in the world is under recovery of population. The only country that's above recovery still is the United States. The only one. Through birth control, through indoctrination, through abortions, and now through homosexuality, and through sterilization, they've reduced the population of the world. The problem in the next generation is not enough people to produce. Not overpopulation. Politicians, teachers, professors, liars. They have an agenda. Now, the headship, the headship of man was usurped by the woman due to the fall. The fall changed everything. God pointed it out to Eve in Genesis 3.16. God said to Eve first, your desire shall be for your husband in verse 16. God said to Eve secondly, he shall rule over you. Whatever it means. It has to mean the opposite of what God had established prior to the fall. Because Genesis 3.16 is the curse. Okay? The word desire means a stretching out after, a longing desire. Some say it refers to the sexual desire of the woman for her husband. I don't think so. Because her desire was perfect prior to the fall in that sense. This is the curse. Not only that. But the man has the stronger sex drive. He's always the initiator. There are exceptions, but not the rule. The word desire is used in the same grammatical structure three times in the Old Testament only. This is the first. The second is used to illustrate the longing desire of sin to rule, control, and overtake Cain as a praying animal ready to leap upon its prey in the very next chapter of Genesis, Genesis 4-7. The third time it's used, it's used to describe the sexual desire and longing of the groom for his virgin bride in Song of Solomon 7-10. Those are the only three places it's found in the same exact grammatical structure. All three examples communicate a longing desire for control or obtaining. What God was saying is that the desire of the woman would now be to uh, incline to usurp the authority of the man. And his desire would be to control and rule over her instead of being a loving husband, both being in a fallen state. You see, prior to the fall, it was just the way it was supposed to be once the fall came. Everything went awry, upside down. For before the fall, there was no problem. After the fall, the problem came. So what we see here 
is the beginning of women's liberation and male chauvinism, the battle of the sexes. Submission was no longer natural nor loving care for sin entered in. There's our problem. Even as Christians, we still have an old nature, right? We've got to crucify it every day. Paul puts it this way in Galatians 5.17. For the flesh lusts against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary one to the other. So that you cannot do that things that you wish. Two natures. A new nature, the new man, the old man. Intention. Who wins? The one I feed the most. If I feed the old man, I'm dead. And so is my wife. If I feed the new man, we'll have some fun. It's going to be okay. The headship of man is compared to the headship of Christ to the church. Look at verse 23. The church submits to Christ's headship due to the fact that it is a picture of loving care and concern for the bride, his church. So the wife to her husband. There's the application. Christ died for the church, so the husband is to die to self for his wife. Christ is the one nourishing the church, so the husband is to nourish his wife in the Lord. Christ grows his church, so the husband is to cause his wife to grow spiritually. Christ warns the church, so the husband is to warn his wife. All of it is motivated by love. Christ strengthens the church, so the husband is to strengthen his wife. Knowing she's the weaker vessel. Now the church submits to the headship of Christ due to the fact that he is responsible. First to protect, second to provide, third to preserve his church. Protect, provide, and preserve. Christ is the one ever protecting the church with a loving eye and so the husband for his wife. Read Revelation chapter 1. His eyes on his church. Christ always provides for his church. So the husband for his wife. A place to gather. A home for his wife. Finances to do the work that's needed. Meeting the needs, not the greeds of his wife. Contentment. Working together. Direction for fulfilling God's will to be all she can be in Christ. Wisdom to glorify God by her loving submission to her husband as to Christ. Colossians 2 says, In him, Christ, are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. So both husband and wife have to draw from that treasure chest. If your marriage it's going to blossom if it's going to be an example. It's never going to be perfect. You're both the problem. You're both flawed. But you're both new creatures that have the capacity to obey and to do what he's telling us to do here. Whether we're willing, that's a different matter. But we do have the potential for the instructions. Christ will complete the work to the end, never leave his church nor forsake her, so the husband turns his wife. Simple. 
One put it this way, surrender isn't giving up something you don't want. It's giving up what you do want. Victory isn't walking across the goal line. It's struggling through opposition to the goal. Trust isn't going just where the lights are. It's following through the dark valleys. Love isn't giving when others are giving. It's giving when others are not giving. Faith isn't overflowing to others. It's emptying itself to others. It all speaks of dying to self and yielding and obeying Christ. We must acknowledge that whether the husband is saved or unsaved, the man is the head of the woman by God's design. Is that clear? Genesis 1, 27. When a woman comes here, she's a believer. We acknowledge that her non-believing husband is her head, the complete authority over her. A female is always under someone's authority, as I implied before, whether it be her father, family. In principle, it's for her protection, guarding over her. She's cared for until she's married, and then she comes under the protection of her own husband. The man doesn't take the name of the woman. The woman takes the name of the man. Though I know there are some smart aleck ladies that keep their name, but it's the rare exception. And I'm sure they have a lot of fun, but they're not very happy. In determining the sex of the child, it's interesting. It is the man who determines the sex of the child, not the woman. So, guys, if you have all women, it's your fault, not hers. If you have all boys, it's your fault, not hers. Peter says that Christian women are to win their unbelieving husbands to Christ by example of a meek and quiet spirit, being very precious in the sight of God, and not initiate divorce. Only if they want it because you are not a Christian. 1 Corinthians 7, 10 through 16. 1 Peter 3, 1 through 6. A Christian never initiates divorce. Woman or man. Husband or wife. Only the non-believer who doesn't want to remain with you because you're Christian. Then you're set free. So the Christian who's married to a non-believer has an easier way to be divorced than two believers. The only way two believers can be divorced is if there's adultery. If a Christian is married to a non-believer and they say, forget you, I'm not going to live with you. Jesus freak, I'm out of here. Then you're free. But if you're both Christians, only the adultery is the grounds for divorce. Read it very clear in 1 Corinthians 7. So whether your husband is born again or not, ladies, you are to submit to him. Listen, here's a qualifier, and we're going to go through this. As unto the Lord. We must understand that in Christ we are inverted right side up from the fallen state, and we do not need to usurp or rule as tyrants, but recognize the headship of a man and the submission of a woman as the wise design of God for our new and by, by and through our new divine nature of Second Peter 1, 3-4. That's why we study the Word of God. That's why we pray. That's why we ask God wisdom. That's why we 
Look for good examples that match up to the scriptures to encourage us. That is why Paul in 1 Timothy says that a woman is not to usurp authority over a man. The context is church order, by the way. As a pastor, the two reasons, listen carefully, are not cultural, but historical and biblical. It is found in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 11 through 14. Here they are. And the churches ignore it today. This is why a woman cannot be a pastor teacher as a pastor of the church. First, Adam was created first, not Eve. And Eve was deceived, not Adam. He transgressed. Two reasons. The man's the head and the woman was deceived. Those aren't cultural. They're biblical and historical. Real simple. Headship and the greater ability to be deceived are important. Headship, Adam. The greater ability to be deceived, Eve. Does that mean men cannot be deceived? Yes, they can be deceived, but not as easy as a woman. Simple. Take it on every level, on any level you want. It'll happen. I've never heard of a man being deceived sexually by a woman. I'll put it right in the basic principles. But women do get deceived by men. Because women make decisions by feelings and emotions. And men understand that. So they manipulate women. So really, who's the dog? The man. Not the woman. It's real simple. So the only thing a woman is prohibited to do in the church is to be a pastor teacher, the pastor of the church. The only thing. Here we are again, back in the garden. You can have everything in the garden, but one thing. Where's it at? <laughs> we haven't changed, have we? Women, you can do anything. Except one thing. Which one? I want it. Wow. Whenever there's a woman pastor, it is the worst commentary on a man. He hasn't answered the call that God wants him to. And a woman has answered the call. Wow. A woman who's born again has no excuse for not submitting due to the fact that God has enabled her by the Holy Spirit. Ephesians 5.18 The grace of God is sufficient within the boundaries of Scripture, not beyond them. Strengthen, strength is made perfect in weakness, 2 Corinthians 12.9 says. Remember that. Unsubmissive women to the leadership of their husbands are not depicted as a very good light in the scriptures. Listen, Proverbs 21, 9 says, Better to dwell in the corner of the housetop than a house shared with a contentious woman. As a ring of gold in the swine's snout, so was a lovely woman who lacks discretion. Proverbs eleven twenty two. What a picture of many women today. Beautiful women. But then look how they conduct themselves. What comes out of their mouths? How they live. Wow. An excellent wife is a crown to her husband, but she who causes shame is like rottenness to his bones. Proverbs 12, 14. A man becomes the type of savior, the protector, provider, and preserver of his wife. The head should be in a position of great responsibility and accountability to God. Gentlemen, he will have to give an account to God for his wife. 
So the woman is to submit to her husband because he is head of the wife. Third and 24, the woman is to submit to her husband as head. Listen, in everything. Hang on to the thought, ladies. The degree of submission is by the woman is limited to that which is scriptural. That's the everything. Submission is not to be given to a husband and every whim and desire that he wants being carnal. 1 Corinthians 3, 1. The woman is not one of his children. The woman is not his slave. Submission is not to be given when it clearly defies or contradicts the word of God. Acts 5.29 is the principle. When they told him not to preach the gospel, well, you see whether we obey God or man. When the commands of man contradict the word of God, I do not submit to man. I submit to God. Is that clear? The word of God is the authority over the woman's own opinion. The word of God is the standard over the woman's emotions and feelings. Submission is not to be given to a husband when it violates the wife's conscience. 1 Corinthians 10, 28 through 29. In forms of entertainment, be it R-rated movies, pornography, or whatever. You don't have to submit to that. In offensive friendships to her faith in Christ without being overcritical. In violation of her person. And wife relationships such as physical or emotional abuse, wife swapping, sexual perversions, or ongoing unfaithfulness. You don't have to submit to that. Absolutely not, ladies. Everything she submits is to be honorable and glorifying God and according to the scriptures. Notice the submission in everything is to be despite the fact that the husband is not the Savior. The word therefore is the strongest adversive particle in the Greek. The word um, but or nevertheless is a better translation. It is showing contrast while the word therefore shows conclusion. It is contrasting the type of Christ to the husband, the extension as a type, yet it is opposing the quality of an actual savior okay in other words the submission of a wife to her husband is given as a type he bears all the responsibility as head while never thinking that he as a husband is the savior of his wife is that clear notice the submission of his wife and everything is to be as the church to Christ. She does this as a sacrifice of love as to Christ. Pleasing him, understanding his will, expressing spiritual worship to him, being filled with the spirit of God, fearing God and thanking him. We saw these in Ephesians 5:2, 5:10, 5:17, 5:18, 5:19, 5:21, 5:22. The principle is stated by Jesus. If you are ever going to be his disciple and church, you must deny yourself, pick up your cross, and follow him. Matthew 16, 28. Obedience and the glory of God is the goal. The things that hinder submission is pride, selfishness, 
and self-will. Christian marriages are marked by discipline and self-denial. An unsaved husband was at a bar one night. It was late already and telling his friends at the bar, hey, I got want to go to my house. My wife will cook breakfast for us. No, I just played it. You know, last drinks, quarter to two. See, I still remember. And, um, oh, no, come on, she'll do it. So, okay. So they go over there. They get to the house there and, and the guy saw how he treated his wife, rude and everything else, and he excused himself to go to the bathroom. And um, while he was there, he said, why do you put up with this guy? She said, well, you know, I'm a Christian. I accepted Christ about a year ago. And I'm, I'm trying to make him as, as comfortable as I can right here because when Jesus Christ comes for me in the rapture, or if he dies first, he's not going to be very comfortable in hell. And the guy's eyeballs just lit up. But... Knowing the difference of what's going to happen to people when we have unbelieving spouts, realizing that we're going to go to heaven, but they are on their way to hell, then we have to be as Christ. Again, we've already set the limits where you don't submit yourself unto. Women, uh, your submission in everything is guarded by Scripture, but don't use the word to escape your responsibility. Or worse yet, use it to justify your disobedience. First Peter 3, 1 through 6. Does your husband know that you stand behind him or do you oppose him? Do you complain always about him? Do you compliment him or do you compete with him? Which is to mock him. Do you allow him to make decisions and take the lead? Or do you undermine the authority, especially to the children? You let them know how much you appreciate him, his protection, his provision, his covering over you. You talk him down before people in loss. Again, worse yet, the children. Do you help him see his shortcomings and downfalls, loving being? To help him be encouraged? Or does he feel that he's not appreciated or that you would probably be better off without him? Hmm. Proverbs 24 3 says, Through wisdom a house is built, and by understanding it is established. Women, your submission in everything is to be after the model of the church. Think about it. It is a double analogy of Christ to the church and the church to Christ side by side, husband to wife, that is found nowhere else in Scripture. This alone is the only place. Let me ask you a question, ladies. Our Lord promised that the gates of hell would not prevail against this church and that she was to trust, commit, and subject herself to him. And yet the church has suffered many things persecutions, famines, shame, sorrows, lack of dwelling. And yet, the church has never told Jesus Christ, you aren't doing your job, Lord. So I'm not going to submit because I'm not getting all I want or think I deserve. You're blessing the church down the street more than us. I'm not going to submit, Lord. 
Now, if you wouldn't say that to Christ, then why would you say that to your husband? He is his Christ to the church. Proverbs 15.1 says, A soft word turns away wrath, but grievous words stir up anger. Proverbs 31.30 says, Charm is deceitful and beauty is passing, but a woman who fears the Lord, she shall be praised. These are not just flipping little verses. They are, they are life arrows to your marriage, ladies and gentlemen. You can succeed in business and whatever you want, but true success is in your marriage. That's true success. If you fail there, I don't care what you succeed in. You failed. Now, sometimes it's because it's the non-believer's fault. They don't want to be with you. Other times, maybe one husband or wife walks away from Christ. Other times, because there's a husband or wife that's carnal. But you've got to make sure that if you are the one that's spiritual, that you continue to pray, you continue to fight, you continue to depend on the Lord, you continue to obey, and you continue to be that example, that light. That's what we're called to do. Jesus doesn't ask me, do you feel good about that? He doesn't care how I feel. It's nothing to do with my emotions. It's nothing to do with my opinions. The woman is to submit to her husband. Has head in everything. Protected by scripture. Are any of these things unjust? Are any of these things just unfair? Unreachable? No. Not at all. This is God's role for the woman. In view of submission in marriage. The woman is to submit to her husband. The woman is to submit to her husband because he's the head of the wife. And the woman is to submit to her husband as head in everything. Everything is under the scriptures. There's the protection. There's the boundaries. It's a doable thing that we submit ourselves to God. Father, we thank you. We worship you. And we just um, thank you for your mercy over our life, Lord. How good you've been to us and how good you are to us. Even when we are just carnal and just plain stupid. I pray for every person here, Lord, in marriages. I pray for my own marriage, Lord. Father, my obedience to you, my wife. And the Lord, you would be honored with the marriages here. Protect us. Father, we're example to our children, to our grandchildren, to the world. As you're praying, if you're here tonight, if you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, then God has brought you here to be saved, to repent of your sins. Maybe you're over the internet or the radio. If you don't know Jesus Christ, then you need to know that he came to die for you and take your place on the cross. 
and that in dying he paid the price for your sins. He rose from the dead and he is able to forgive you, to make, make you a new creature, to give you a divine nature and give to you eternal life. And it comes through repentance. You agreeing with God that you're a sinner, admitting your sin, confessing your sin and asking him to forgive you and ask him to be your Lord to save you. If you do that, he will do exactly what you've asked him because he's made those provisions. And it's by grace through faith, not emotions, not feelings, but according to God's revelation of what he's done for you because you cannot do that for yourself. If you want to accept Christ Jesus right now, right where you sit or wherever you are, this is the prayer of repentance you can pray right now. And he's going to save you. Father, I come to you in Jesus' name. I ask you to forgive me, Lord, for all my sins. Give me a brand new heart. Baptize me with your Holy Spirit. I accept you as my Savior and Lord. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.